0: Are we looking back to see how God has met our needs in the past and how he's going to continue into the future? Or do we begin to look at the circumstances, the situations around us, what we see? And we allow that worry to take a hold of us and it begins to dominate us. You know, when we're walking in faith, you know, one of the, probably the greatest attribute of faith is peace. And one of the greatest attributes of having peace is entering into a rest. It's knowing that God has taken care of us and he's met our every need and, and we don't have to be concerned about everything else that we see around us. You know, <clears throat> what we think on, what we meditate on is so important and that's why in the world... I mean, you watch the news and you're bombarded with the same issues over and 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 over again. Why? Because you hear it long enough, you meditate on it long enough, you believe it, and it begins to have an impact upon your life. And so we have to guard ourselves as to what it is that we, we truly focus on. And so <clears throat> to have peace, you know, it's, it's a grace that's been given to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. But you know, to, to experience that peace, to experience that rest, is dependent upon our soul, our mind, our will, our emotions. What we focus on, what we dwell upon, what we give Dominance in our life. The other thing about worry is worry is basically fear based. When we have peace in our life, it's faith based. It's putting our trust and our confidence in the completed works of Jesus. But worry is fear based, it's that, it's that concern of, is that Something really going to happen, or isn't it going to happen? Yes, I know that, that this is what it says in the Bible, but those buts will get us every time. But what about what I see in the natural? And so, again, worry is natural based. And so, if you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn them to Matthew, the sixth chapter. I'm going to begin reading in the uh, 25th verse. And it says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you will put on. Is life not more than food and the body more than clothing? Now, <clears throat> This is Jesus speaking. Now somebody tells you to do something that is absolutely impossible for you to do. That would be unjust. That would be unfair. You know, for you to ask a two-year-old to repair the furnace. You know, well, pastor, that's ridiculous. You're absolutely right. It would be unfair, it would be unjust. And for God to ask us to do something, but really he doesn't even ask us, it's a a command. He says, therefore I say to you, do not worry. And so if God tells us, do not worry, it's either possible for us to not worry, or he's unjust. Now I happen to believe that he's just. And so I believe then, because he says, do not worry, we don't have to worry. And then he goes on and he says, For look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap, nor gather in barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Well, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes. You are of more value. Which of you, by worrying, can add a cubit to your your stature? To sit around and worry, does it add anything? No. So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothed the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? O ye little faith. Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? Or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek, For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for today is its own trouble. You know where most of our worries come from? Most of our worries... Come from wondering what's going to happen tomorrow, what's going to happen in the future? What if this happens? What if that happens? It's it's about the what-ifs. Let me tell you something. The what-ifs will they'll bind you up, they'll hold you back, they'll keep you from succeeding and achieving what God's called you to do. Because what if it doesn't work? Well, what if it does? But you never, see, if we don't don't extend ourselves, if we don't take a chance, we'll never find out. Life is more than just material, physical things. We need to be careful that we don't get caught up in that. Because this world that we live in is so materialistic. We look around us and everything is trying to, to sell us something, to try to tell us what we have isn't enough. To tell us what we have isn't good enough. That there's always, there's always something better. There's always something more. And if we can just have this, we'll be happy. We'll, we'll be satisfied. No, we won't. Because we're not putting God first. We're not putting Him first. We're putting everything else first. We, because we put all that other stuff first. The material things, whatever it may be. It's never going to be enough. It's never going to satisfy don't you ever wonder about athletes and entertainments and people in other fields where they... <clears throat> Can you imagine having a $90 million a year contract? Or five year for $90 million? I mean, I'd really like to suffer with that. But what are the, what's happening with their lives? They turn to drugs. We see them being arrested. We we see all this stuff. Why? Because for the majority of them, God isn't in the picture. And so it's all for self. And so if I can just have this, I'm going to be happy. No, they're, they're never happy. They're never satisfied. But it says, he says, O ye of little faith. But here where it's talking about little faith, it's not talking about the size of our faith. He's talking about their failure to endure. You know, when, when, Je- when Peter walked on the water and, and you know, he's walk- Jesus is walking out to the boat and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And he says, come on. He got out of the boat and he began to walk on the water. Did you get that? The guy is walking on water. The water. Walking. On the water. There's no rocks. He's walking on the water. And it says he. He notices the wind and the waves. And the circumstances around him. And it says he began, begins to, fi- to, to sink. And he cries out to Jesus. And Jesus reaches out his hand. And takes him. You see. It wasn't about the sight of Peter's faith because Peter had enough faith to walk on the water. The issue was that his faith didn't endure. See, when we talk about having little faith, it's not because we don't have any faith. Because according to Romans 12, 3, each and every one of us as born again believers, we've been given the measure of faith. Well, what is the measure of faith? Whatever you need to accomplish what God's called you to do. That's the measure of faith that you have. But see, what we do is we grow in faith. And growing in faith doesn't mean that our faith gets bigger. It means that we have a faith that's going to endure no matter what the circumstances, no matter what the conditions are around us. Mm -hmm. It isn't like one day I'm going to have this gigantic faith that you know, I used to think that when I, when I had strong faith, that I, I wouldn't have any problems anymore. Boy, was I mistaken. But when I grew in faith, what I realized was I had whatever I needed to deal with whatever came my way. That's what growing in faith is. It's enduring no matter what the circumstances are around us. And that's where Jesus... Wants to take us, that's where he wants us to be. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter of the third verse, it says, For we who have been, who have believed, do enter the rest. Who enters in the rest? The ones who believe. For we who have believed do enter that rest. As he has said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. Who wasn't going to enter into the rest? Those that didn't believe. Who was going to enter into the rest? Those that believed. And looking back and realizing that it's been established from the foundation of the world. You know the Bible says that Jesus was crucified from the beginning. In other words, in the eyes of God, your and my salvation was purchased through the blood of Jesus Christ. While you and I were still guilty and caught up in our sin. Jesus was made available to us. And we go to him. But see, what fear does is it causes us to doubt. Fear causes us to, to question you know, and that and, and goes back to the very beginning. What did the serpent do with Eve? Got her to question what God had said. Did God really say that you should not eat of the tree or touch it? Oh, what did he do? He just perverted it a little bit. Yes, God said don't eat of it, but he said nothing about touching it. Now, how many of you know if you're not supposed to eat it, it's a good idea not to touch it? I've learned if I don't want to eat a piece of chocolate cake, don't touch it. Because if I touch it, it's going to get on my fingers. And if it gets on my fingers, I've got to lick it. And if I lick it, it's over. And so, you know, no, it's, it's a good idea not to touch it. But that's not what God said. But notice this terminology, did God really say? Did God really mean what he said in the word? That's where he wants to get us to just begin to question it a little bit because if we begin to question it, he has us right where he wants us to be. In John, the sixth chapter, the 28th verse, it says, Then they say to him, What shall we do? that we may work the works of God. And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the works of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. This is the works. You know, we walk by grace, but you know what? For by grace you've been saved through faith. There's still a work that we do. And the work that we do is to believe. The work that we do isn't to try to get God to do something. The work that we do is we believe that he did exactly what he said he was going to do. That it's not based on my self-effort. It's believing that he accomplished everything that he said he was going to do. It's been accomplished. Listen to that same verse out of the New Living Translation. They said, we want to perform God's works too. What shall we do? And Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. You know what? One of the, probably the most difficult part of Christianity is there's nothing we can do to earn it or deserve it. Because part of our nature, especially if you grew up in a house where work hard and you'll achieve, work hard and you gain. Work hard and you get something. You know, so that for many of us that's part of who we are, that it's our whole life has been to work hard to to achieve, to gain, to move forward. And then you come to Christianity and you can't do anything. But believe. Now the thing about it is as we believe. We, we, we do. We act. We perform. Not to get something but because of what we have. Because of what Jesus has already done for us. And so that's what he's talking about here. They replied. We want to perform God's works. We want to do it. You know it's kind of like the. <clears> the. <throat> uh, the guy that was caught up in sorcery who heard the disciples preach and, and the disciples from Jerusalem came down and they began to lay hands on the people and, and, and they, were, they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost and they began to speak in other tongues and this, this sorcerer who had been following them around thought this is, this is really miraculous. And he tried to give them money. Because he wanted to do the very same thing. You can't buy God off. Everything that we have from him is a gift. Well, if I'm good enough, maybe God, no, 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 no. not about you being good enough. It's about how good he is. It's about us believing him and receiving what he's made available to us, and we receive it by faith. And so again, I just want to reiterate Reiterate, faith, or excuse me, doubt is is based in fear. Fearful that something isn't going to happen, that God isn't going to do exactly what He said He was going to do. And so then, then fear wants to rise up in our lives. In Hebrews, the fourth chapter, Hebrews, the fourth chapter, I'm going to begin reading In the third verse. And it says, For he who have believed do enter that rest. Who enters the rest? He who believes. How do we experience that rest in our life? By believing. Why is that so significant? Because if we believe, we know that God's done it all. And even though our circumstances right now may not be what we want them to be, they're subject to change because of what what Jesus has done. And he said, So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Although the works were finished. Although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has spoken in a certain place of the seventh day in this way. And God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. And again in this place, they shall not enter my rest. Why did God rest on the seventh day? Because the work was done. Why does he tell us to enter into the rest? Because the work was done. Because Jesus has done it all. Since therefore, it remains that that some must enter it, and those to whom it was first preached did not enter because of disobedience. And so why did the first, why did they not enter into that rest? Because of disobedience. Why was the law added to grace? The law was added to grace because man thought that they could handle it all by themselves. And so the law was added to grace so that man would realize he needed a Savior. Why do we have to put our trust and our confidence in Jesus? Because we need a Savior. Because we can't do it in our own strength and in our own ability. You know, Abraham did absolutely nothing to be righteous. It said he believed God. He believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteousness. And then Moses and the children of Israel come along, and they're this rebellious crew. And every time God gives them a direction, they rebel against it. And so, what did he do? He gave them rules, he gave them regulations, he gave them the law. And he says, You want to do it yourself? Keep this. The one thing the law proved to the children of Israel and to humanity is we can't do it. So Jesus came. What did Jesus do? He fulfilled the law. He was the one individual, the one who came, who could do what was required for salvation. And then what did he do? He became our substitute. He gave his life so that we might have life and so in verse 7 it says again he designated a certain day saying to david today after such a long time as it has been said today if you will hear my voice do not harden your hearts you know what the hardest thing for for us to do is to not harden our hearts The hardest thing for us to do is to enter into that rest and simply say, Jesus, I trust you. I believe you. I put my confidence in you. Because what we want to do is we want to do something in our own ability. We want to do something to make us feel like we've done something. Don't look at me with that tone of voice. I know that it's true. We are, we're, we're that way. It's part of who we are. For if Joshua had given them rest, then he would not afterward have spoken of another day. If it had been done, they wouldn't have had to look forward to another day. Let us, therefore. Let us. Let me. Let you and me. Let us, therefore, be diligent. So, as Christians, we're to be diligent. Amen. But what are we to be diligent of? Oh, you know, we've got to be diligent and work really hard and try really hard and and uh, be diligent to enter that rest. What rest? The rest knowing that the work is done. The rest knowing that Jesus has already done it all and we simply enter into it. Does that mean, pastor, that I don't ever do anything? I'm not talking about it. It's an active rest. But it's a rest that isn't based on trying to gain something, trying to earn something, trying to deserve something. It's a rest knowing that it's already done. And I just simply live a life of obedience to Jesus. Not trying to gain favor because I already have favor. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Lest anyone fall according to the example of disobedience. What's what's the disobedience? Self-effort. Trying to do it in her own strength. Trying to earn it. To deserve it. Rather than experiencing the peace. Rather than experiencing what Jesus has already done. What he's already accomplished for each and every one of us. To be at rest is a powerful position for a Christian. Because it's the highest kind of faith. Remember in Hebrews it says without faith. It's impossible to please God. He who comes to God must believe that he is. And that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And so when we come to that place, when we trust God, when we know who he is, and we know that he's going to supply our needs, what happens? We we come to this place of rest. We, We have peace in our life. Why? Because we're no longer trying to struggle. We're no longer trying to earn something that we already have. We put our confidence in Him. In Isaiah 54, verse 17. You see, we have authority through the Word of God. And it's in that authority that we're able to see our faith operate. And we're able to see those needs being met. You know, is it interesting? As you read through the Gospels, remember one of the things that Jesus was always criticized of? He was criticized because he performed miracles on on the Sabbath. Sabbath. They criticized him because he he worked on the Sabbath. That's how they interpreted it, as work. But see, for Jesus, it wasn't work. It was because he knew he had the authority to speak and there was going to be a miracle. Well, the majority, I believe, of his miracles were performed on the Sabbath. You know when our miracles are going to take place? They're going to take place on the Sabbath. But I'm not talking about a day. Isn't it getting hot in here? That furnace is working, praise the Lord. You, you can't feel it? You need to come stand up here by me. Whew. It's warm in this joint. Hallelujah. But you know, what was I saying? Oh, we ought to be doing it on the Sabbath. What does that mean? In a state of rest. We don't pray for the sick because we think we're going to do something. We pray for the sick because we know what Jesus has already done. We don't pray for our needs to be met, believing that we have to make it happen. We pray for it knowing that Jesus has already become poor, that we might become rich. We don't don't pray for people to be set free trying to work it out. We do it in a state of rest knowing that Jesus Christ of Nazareth went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. And so whatever the oppression is in your life, Jesus has come to set you free from it. And so what we need to do is we need to relax. Sit back in the easy chair. And recognize what Jesus has already done for each and every one of us. Have you found Isaiah yet? Isaiah 54, 17, it says, No weapon. Everybody say, no weapon. No weapon, no weapon formed against you shall prosper. And every tongue that is raised against you in judgment, you shall condemn. This is the heritage of, of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. This is your heritage. That every tongue that's been raised against you in judgment, it's going to be condemned. Man is not going to lead the way. Jesus is. You know, over the years... I know this is really probably hard for you to believe, but people have said things about me. You know, maybe they don't like me or they don't like the way I dress or they don't like the way I talk or whatever. And, you know, I can remember in the past, you know, I had this need to defend myself. And we won't have a show of hands because then we'd have to have a prayer line for liars because people wouldn't raise their hands. But, you know, I thought, you know, I, I you know, want to defend it. Well, I found out all I did was dig the hole deeper. And then one day I went across, came across this passage and it says that the Lord is my vindicator. Glory to God. That works out so much better when he does the vindication rather than me trying to defend myself. And so here he says, no weapon formed against you shall prosper and every tongue which rises against you in judgment shall be condemned. This is the heritage. This is our heritage. This belongs to us. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And their righteousness is from me, says the Lord. And so we need to learn to turn our burdens over to him. We were never created to be burden bearers. Well, Pastor, in Galatians, it says that we're to bear one another's burdens. But if you study that in the book of Galatians, what you find out is the, the what he's talking about there is that we're to lift that burden or bear that burden together so that we can help that individual lay that burden upon Jesus. Jesus is our burden bearer. You try to be somebody's burden bearer and it will wear you out. You can't do it. It'll take you down. And so we, 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 we are there to bear that burden together, to place that burden upon Jesus. While we were in Arkansas, Joey needed a haircut. And Joey has all this hair. This makes you envious. <laughs> but he's got, he's got all this hair. And, and the thing about it is, it, it, it reminds me of me when I used to have that hair. I remember mean, I went to the barber when I was in, in high school and he, he told me, you know, you need to learn to shave with a straight edge because with the amount of hair that you have and the thickness of your beard, you, you need to have a, a straight edge. Well, I never did learn to use that. I figured I'd hurt myself. And so, but I, but I, I really, did I, did I not have thick hair? Yes. I just wanted to know. I mean, I had, a, I had a full beard. It was just a luscious full beard. And then I began to pastor. And uh, I didn't know how to roll the burden over. And so everything that would come my way, I would, I would carry it. I didn't know how to lift, help them lift the burden onto Jesus. I was the burden carrier in my estimation. And so, uh, you know, for probably 15 years, Pastor Becky was the only one that could cut my hair because she knew how to cover my patches. Because my hair fell out in clumps and my, my, my beard began to fall out in clumps. And... Remember the morning I looked into the the, um, mirror and one half of my mustache had fallen out and the other half had turned white. (laughs) Now I'm a kraut, but I really don't want to impersonate Hitler. You understand what I'm saying? (laughs) And so, I I mean, I shaved it off. I mean, two of my kids didn't know who I was because they'd never seen me without my... My beard, Nicole went downstairs and prayed God help me to like him. And, uh, but, it was, it was, but that's what happens when you carry the burden. And I'm not just talking about your burden. I'm talking about when we get this idea that I'm supposed to carry other people's burdens. We can be a part of helping them lift that burden off. And place it on Jesus. But Jesus is the burden bearer. And we need to come to that realization. That's why it says what it says. In 1 Peter 5, 7. Cast all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Why can we cast our cares upon him? Because that's what Jesus came to do. Came to carry your cares. When we carry our own cares, it weighs us down. I mean, you see a lot of Christians and they're just they're just weighed down. They're just they're just carrying this burden. It's it's almost like, you know, yes, it's it's spiritually or emotionally, but it's like physically it's just it's just weighing them down. Why? Because they haven't cast it upon Jesus. They haven't given it to Jesus. They're carrying it themselves. In Psalms 55 verse 22 it says, Cast your burdens on the Lord and He shall sustain you. He shall never permit the righteous to be moved. He's not going to permit it. Cast your burden on the Lord. He shall sustain you. He'll do it. We can't do it ourselves. Jesus is our Sabbath. Jesus provides rest for our soul. And of course we know that our soul is our mind, our will, our emotions. And so often we're just so... We're so stressed out in those areas because we're, we're carrying something that we're incapable of carrying in our own ability. In Matthew 11, verse 28 and 29, it says, this is Jesus once again speaking, and he says, come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, And I will give you rest. Where do we find rest? We find it in him. Then he goes on and he says, Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you'll find rest for your soul. We are to be yoked. But we're to be yoked to Jesus. And the thing about the yoke is, normally when you have Two ox <clears throat> yoked together. It's to be so that they, they carry the load equally. But you know what? We're yoked to Jesus. And we're not yoked equally. He's carrying the burden. But it's when we get off by ourselves, we, when we disconnect, that's when that bur- burden begins to be heavy. Let me read that same passage out of the Message Bible. Are you tired? You just kind of have to appreciate the message, don't you? Just kind of says it like it is. Are you tired? Worn out? Burnt out on religion? Come to me. Let me just stop there a minute. And say, well, how can that? How can that be? Remember the definition of religion. The true definition of religion is man's attempt to get right with God. Christianity is knowing that you're already right with God. Because of Jesus. And so that's what he's saying. He's saying, set aside, get rid of all the self-effort. Come to me. Get away with me, and you will recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me, and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me, and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus says, Learn from me. Let's stop trying to do it on our own, our own strength, our own ability. And let's put our trust and our confidence in Jesus. Father, we thank you today that we can gather in the magnificent name of Jesus. That in that name we find rest. In that name we find peace. In that name we find the authority that is needed to stand against all the wiles of the devil. To live the victorious life. Father, we know that we've all tried to carry our own burdens and the burdens of others. But today, we choose. We choose to take those burdens, those pressures, those doubts, those fears, and turn them over to you. And so we thank you today. And we give you praise because you're just so worthy of it. We're so grateful today for that peace that surpasses our ability humanly to understand. But we know we can trust you. And so we thank you, in the wonderful name of Jesus, amen.